Thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that you speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. And while they were there, sadly, the mother-in-law passed away. So the undertaker said, you can have her shipped home for 5000 <clears throat> or you could bury her here in the Holy Land for only 500 The man thought about it and said, now let's just ship her home. And the undertaker said, well, why would you spend $5,000 when she could be buried here in the special place for only 150 The man said, well, a man died here 2,000 years ago, was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <clears throat> Oh, we got to love the mother-in-law jokes. I am one. So, anyways, it's always interesting to go to museums where you can see wildlife and how they look when they're in, the, in places you can't get close to them. They've been preserved so you can see their teeth, their eyes, their claws, their nails, their hair, and fur. I remember seeing a grizzly bear in Homer, Alaska, and seeing the height of that thing and the fierceness was like, wow, I'm glad he's dead. <clears throat> uh, though through taxidermy, we're able to get a glimpse of what animals look like when they were alive at one time in their natural habitat. And it kind of reminded me of the Church of Sardis that we're about to look at. It was, had become like a museum piece. Instead of dead animals appearing to be alive, Sardis represents all the churches through the ages that may be fine looking outside with their buildings and their stained glass, but they're only a museum that no longer has any real life. They can appear to be alive, but in truth there is nothing going on. They're an empty shell of a spiritual truth that once existed, but has now died out. So we need to look into the mirror of this church as we do with each of these churches, just to see if there's any spiritual life in us as well. This church also reminds me of the insidiousness of cancer that grows unbeknown to its victims. And how many times there is no awareness that it's growing, no awareness it's doing harm. And that seems to be the case with this church, slowly dying from within and no awareness that it was even happening. So the letter to the church at Sardis, the author of this letter is again Jesus Christ writing to the pastor of the church, the men who led the church as elders, they were responsible to be spiritual leaders and to correct the church and not mislead it. To the angel of the church at Sardis, write, he who has, a, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, and that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So this letter uses terms reminiscent of what we saw in chapter 1 of the glorified Christ. He was the seven spirits of God, as I mentioned in that message, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, but there are, number seven is the number that represents completion and fullness. 
So Jesus described himself as the one who has the fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And the seven stars speak of the leaders to these churches. Jesus describes himself as the one who guides and directs his church by the fullness of the Holy Spirit through the leadership of the local church. This is a spiritual ministry that must therefore be guided by spiritual men. What was lacking at Sardis was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says that he knows their deeds, that they have a name saying they are alive, but the reality is they're dead. They were void of the Holy Spirit. You could visit this church and their beautiful building if it were today. You can see people singing, people praying, children's ministries going on, clubs going on, a message of some sort being given. And so they appear to be alive, but in truth, they are dead. As one writer put it, they were a morgue with a steeple. I remind you of the well-known verse that God says to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The people of this city may have been approved by, of the city may have approved of this church, but Jesus said the reality is that they are dead. So this church is filled with people alive, but spiritually dead. Unbelievers are referred to as spiritually dead. They do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2. And we know Romans 8, 9 reminds us unbelievers do not have the indwelling spirit, but all true believers do. So here was a church filled with activities, and everything is being done in men's own strength and their own wisdom. Jesus tells them that he has the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who gives life through the Holy Spirit, and that this church was dead because they didn't know him. So what happened to this church? Think about it. It's only 60 years after Jesus walked on the earth. In reality, this church was just like the city that it lived in. At one time, Sardis had been the capital and a great kingdom. It had great strength and wealth. As I'm sure many of you read, it was built on a rock high up, a thousand feet up, which gave it a natural, incredible fortress. The result of this fortress was that people were smug, careless, and overconfident. The city was captured in its history two times because of their overconfidence, thinking that they're so secure uh, and they failed to properly guard their city. And people lived in the past. They remembered the glory of their past days, their past reputation, their past power. And the church really was just like the city. They were also involved living in the past and had become dead just like the city. It is common for a dying church to talk about the things that used to go on here and how great they were. They no longer had the vision for lost people dying without the Lord. Their smug overconfidence reflected not only their city, but the church in the city. So not only were the coffee shops filled in Sardis with people talking about their past glories, so were the churches. Jesus says, wake up, and tells them to open up their eyes and take an honest look at yourselves. He's saying the same thing to you and me. Have the courage to honestly evaluate your own spiritual heart and condition. Do you tend to live focused on your past? Or maybe at one time you had a greater heart or interest in the Lord and service for him. If you dwell only on your past service for Christ, there is a danger of failing to live today focused on spiritual growth and service. Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have found your deeds completed in this, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of, Christ, of God. So in other words, the activities and works of true believers show up in the fruit of the Spirit by their lives. Their works were on the verge of being dead, just like the church. The true believers there needed to fan these flames for revival. When people attend a dead church, 
Instead of making a big difference and speaking up for the truth and the authority of God's word, they can also be easily lulled into apathy in their own lives. Because to stand for the authority of scripture while you're attending a dead church is like a salmon swimming upstream. They don't want to hear about absolute truth. They don't want to hear about God's absolute authority because culture typically dictates their behavior and what they believe. Jesus says, remember you have re- what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. So remember all Christ has done in your life. Remember how you had a passion for Christ when you were first saved, before you were lulled into formal ritualistic or traditional church attendance and keep it. Keep the truth of Christ alive in your hearts. Hold on to it. Don't be like this city that didn't bother to guard what they had. Have a cross-centered life, a cross-centered church that preaches the gospel. Think about so many great men in church history that God raised up, Martin Luther, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, raised up to bring about revival and reformation. And how many founded denominations and seminaries based on these great men and now are totally liberal and embrace nothing of what their founding fathers had in faith. Repent, change your mind, get back on track, go back to the way it was when your church began. This message is to all who have become spiritually lethargic in their walk. Is there evidence of a new walk and behavior? Have you drifted away from first-time obedience to the Lord? It's so easy to be deceived by Satan, to listen to his lives, and to believe that your life choices are just fine when, in fact, they may be contrary to God's clear command in Scripture. So guard your own heart. And if you need to repent, make sure that you will do that because what will happen if there's not revival in this dead church? The consequences are seen. If they don't wake up and repent, Christ will come to them as a thief in the night and judgment will come unexpectedly. Why would such a church not just instantly repent? Because they were filled with pride and indifference. They didn't recognize their own spiritual condition. Keeping traditions alive, going through the motions was enough for them. And Christ did judge this church. Christ offers, though, courage to the remnant who had remained faithful. True believers are given encouragement by him. Sardis was well known for its wool industry, and so what Jesus says now would register with them in their culture. Pagan worshipers were not allowed to wear any soiled garments that would dishonor their false gods. But there were a few Christians here at Sardis who had not soiled their garments. In other words, they had remained unsoiled and faithful from their dead church, and they were alive and pure in their devotion to Jesus. The result of their devotion was that they would walk with Christ in purity, not talking about a purity of their own, but the purity Christ gives when he declares them righteous. Those who overcome will live forever in fellowship with Christ. He says, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. This is not a threat, but rather a promise that this will never, ever happen. At the time of this letter, kings would keep a registry of its citizens. And if they committed a crime against the state, they would blot that name out of the registry. And if they died, they blotted their name out of the registry. So Jesus is telling them, human kings may blot your name out of their books, but I never will do that. It is a promise of security that you'll live with him forever and ever. 
And the challenge is, listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. We must be careful to never grow comfortable or be content with our spiritual lives. There's no middle ground. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You're not treading water in spiritual life. We are not to live in the past and what we may have accomplished in years gone by when I had courage and boldness. We must continually guard our hearts to serve him now and plan for the future and how we can grow and serve him in different ways. Those who overcome will have white garments, celebrating one day the victory at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sadly, the reality is that there are countless churches today filled with people going through the motions, and they don't even know that there is absolutely no spiritual life present. Daily time in the Word, repenting hourly, moment, moment by moment of our sin, uh, memorizing Scripture, getting up early to pray. Ladies, these are disciplines that we have to fight for to continue in our lives. When we ignore these disciplines, the result is we lose an appetite and hunger for God's word. We don't apply what we hear. And like a cancer, we can grow weak spiritually and don't even realize it's overtaking our lives. Make sure your heart is alive by trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and surrendering your will to his lordship and that daily leading by the spirit in your life. And that brings us to this very exciting church of Philadelphia, the Church of the Open Door. The city was built where a main highway ran through it, connecting three major areas of Asia Minor. It was a very strategic location. And to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one will take your crown." He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as I mentioned, Philadelphia was a main route of the imperial road that led from Rome going east. Like we have the arch in St. Louis that was, it's called the gateway to the west. This was the city that was the gateway of its time to the east. Another fact about the city I'm sure you read is that they had frequent problems with earthquakes. People had to constantly run from the city so they wouldn't be crushed by falling stones from buildings. It was a bit unsettling to live in Philadelphia. After a terrible earthquake in 17 BC, Tiberius Caesar built, rebuilt the city and changed its name to New Caesarea, or New Caesar. It later went back to using its old name, but its people understood what it meant to receive a new name. The church Jesus addressed would grasp this well. The author, Christ is described in verse 7 differently than the way he's described in the other letters to the churches. He who is holy speaks of the perfect righteousness as he is separate from all of his creatures, and who is true, speaks of the genuine truth of Christ, and as he told us, he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And he holds the keys of David, expressing from Isaiah 22, 22 of a man who was the only one that would have the key to the house of the treasures of David. This key is symbolic of the authority of Jesus to open and shut doors in the heavenly kingdom. Jesus speaks this way because there was a Jewish community in Philadelphia that persecuted these people so badly. They, they said that you follow a fake God, you follow a fake Messiah. But Jesus affirms that he is indeed the true Messiah and God, the one that they witness to about others. The condition of this church, Jesus says he knows their deeds. And so what is the open door that he speaks of? In the New Testament, the expression open door usually means opportunity for service for the Lord. And just as the city of Philadelphia had been established as a place to reach areas beyond the Greek culture, so the head of the church, Jesus, has established the church in this very important place to be a missionary church to reach beyond its region with the gospel. He had opened a door of service for them so no one could close it apart from him. What a comfort to know that no power on earth can close what he opens without his permission. Our responsibility then is to go through those open doors and take advantage of opportunities to give and to serve the Lord. We live in a time where there are incredible opportunities for ministry at home and abroad. And yet, the reality is there are less and less people preparing for service to go through open doors. The negative influence, I think, of our society, and sadly also of parents and of grandparents, because they have placed such a big importance on job security and having time for recreation and your health care and all these things, that they don't have the mindset of being willing to send their children out into the dangerous, difficult places of ministry. And with this kind of mindset, there's a hindrance for people being willing to sacrifice the comforts of leaving family, leaving creature comforts in this country to serve Christ somewhere else. This church reached out for the Lord and opportunities to serve him. This expression, little power, doesn't mean that they were weak, but rather they were small in number. And clearly they did not have a great deal of clout in their community. Maybe they didn't have members that were the impressive people by the world's standards and influence, but they kept his word. We need to remember that it's not the size of a church that determines its usefulness to God, <clears throat> but rather it is the faithfulness of the few that give him glory. He says, and you've kept my word. <clears throat> this church was faithful to obey God's word. Obedience is what characterized the individuals in this church. So I wonder if the same can be said of you and me. Do you even keep the most basic of commandments? Forgive others as you've been forgiven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in everything. Cast your cares upon him. Be anxious for nothing. These are just a few clear-cut commands of scripture that we need to obey. <clears throat> Have you followed the Lord by being baptized if you're a new believer in Christ? Do you make sure you're at services where you remember the Lord and all he did for you at the cross when you take communion? Jesus said, you've not denied my name. Even though they were oppressed and often under great pressure, they did not give in to sinful pressure to ever deny Jesus. Regardless of the consequences, they refused to deny him. Verse 9 says, the synagogue of Satan, it's not meant to sound anti-Semitic. Rather, this is a reference to the Jewish community who claimed to be the true children of faith, like their father Abraham, but they were not. They were physically related to Abraham, but not spiritually. But one day, these Jewish persecutors will know that they have persecuted the genuine people of God. Our Savior expects his children to follow him as he opens doors for service. 
maybe ones we could have never imagined. The issue is, will you follow in obedience or make excuses why you can't do that because you're too old and you're too tired and you're too sick and you're too whatever. In verse 10, there is an hour of testing that is coming to this earth when God will pour out his wrath. This isn't just local persecution of a particular church. And let's face it, we know from scripture, all believers will suffer persecution, just as Jesus did. No, this is talking about a worldwide suffering that makes sense that this is when God is pouring out his wrath after the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus said these believers will be kept from that hour of testing. And verse 13 applies this to all believers in the church age. How will he keep believers from this horrible time? Verse 11, I am coming quickly. This does not mean quickly as we've seen in the sense of soon, um, but rather when he comes, all these events will come very quickly. At any time, the church could be snatched up and be with the Lord before he pours out his wrath on the earth, ladies. This is the blessed hope we all need to live with. Practically speaking, it means that our pain, our grief, our sorrow, our fatigue, our discouragement are all temporary. They're this world. It's not forever. It may seem like it. It's not forever. Therefore, we can endure because we have a blessed hope a sure future. 1 John 3, 2 reminds us, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So do you think about the time he's going to catch his bride up to be with him? It will make such a difference in how you view your day, the lens in which you view your life. If you live life in light of that reality. If you wake up in the morning saying, maybe this is the day. So it really does matter how I live today. When you lay your pillow, head down in your pillow at night, maybe he'll come tonight. The command to this church, hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. In 2 John 8, it says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So it would seem that believers can lose rewards. As we serve the Lord, there are times that are discouraging and frustrating, and we'd like to give up. And if we do, it's often because of a conflict with people and our response to the conflict. But we're told not to grow weary, ladies, in well-doing. And if we quit, it means that there will be a loss of rewards. I remind you, this is not speaking about the security of our salvation, which is a promise of Christ. We're talking here about crowns and rewards for faithful service to the Lord. And I love when I think about Jesus said, um, if you gave a cup of cold water in my name, you did it for me. So service can be very small and it can be bigger. It can be formal. It can be individual. If we refuse to take the opportunities, though, that Christ gives us to serve, then he will give those opportunities to someone else and they'll get the reward. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we have as our ambition, and that really is the key. What is your ambition? Paul said, we have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I wonder, does this describe your ambitions in this life? Or the ambitions maybe that you have for your children or your grandchildren? Jesus gives reasons to have courage. There is a future promise to the church. He says to be a pillar which has the idea of being completely unshakable, immovable, and firm. And to a people who knew all about earthquakes running out of buildings, 
Uh, these gave words of eternal stability and hope. They may be small in number, but one day they're going to be a pillar of strength. There will be no more running out of buildings in the city because of earthquakes. Instead, they will be secure and immovable in the new holy city of God one day. What wonderful security for his own as we are given his new name, knowing we belong to him forever. So he who has an ear, let him hear. So the question is, are you listening? The Lord continues to open doors of great opportunity for, the, for his ministries through the local church. And it is by faith that we walk through these doors or else we're going to miss opportunities for service and miss rewards. Are you just too busy with life to think about serving him? It does take sacrifice. It does take your time. It does take your energy when you're weary. Are you teaching by word and example to your children to dream big dreams of what they can do for Christ? It's so great. You, as a parent, you know your children the best, and as a grandparent, where you can take them aside and say, I see this in your personality. I see your giftedness, art, music, whatever, your determination. What could you do for Jesus being this kind of a person? You're amazing. Let's think about things and ways you could serve the Lord. I pray that you and I will have open ears to listen and respond and to walk where he leads us in service. The particular difficulties God has brought into your life, the pain, the sorrow, these things are not in vain. I remind you, ladies, that it is often out of the ashes of great sorrow and pain and difficulty that vision for ministry comes about. I think of so many like, obviously, Johnny Erickson Tata and the worldwide ministry that came out of her sorrow and the ashes of her being paralyzed. There are so many women like this and men that when you go through an ordeal, the Lord can take that ordeal and make it a future ministry. So plant thoughts in your children and your grandchildren's mind so that they imagine doing great things for their Savior. Another name, Catherine Wolf. If you look her up on YouTube, amazing story of unbelievable um, sorrow and difficulty and how the Lord has raised her up and a ministry beyond anything you would think. So that brings us to the last church, the self-sufficient church. We'll zip. I can't read all the verses for lack of time, but I know you deeds that you're, you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. I'll spit you out of my mouth because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you don't know you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy me from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You've read the rest of the verses, so I'll stop there. Jesus is qualified to tell them what they don't want to hear because he is the amen, which means it is so, so be it. And he is the faithful true witness. He is completely trustworthy. And what he's about to say is the truth. He is the beginning of the creation of God, the source and origin of all creation. So Jesus made these statements about himself because this church's problems centered around their totally independent self-sufficiency. The condition of this church was they were lukewarm. There were two cities nearby, one known for its medicinal waters, the other known for its cold, pure springs. And Laodicea's waters were piped in through an aqueduct from a spring four miles away. And by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. It was disgusting, lukewarm mineral water, and people who often visited would throw up when they drank it. 
To be a lukewarm Christian then is to be useless in many ways for Christ. At least if the hot waters have a purpose and the cool waters are refreshing, but there's nothing with lukewarm, it's nauseating. And that's why Christ said, I'm going to vomit this church right out of my mouth. This sin sickens God. The sin of half-hearted devotion to him. Content to believe in Christ and then just sit around and, like a sponge and absorb and do nothing. Lukewarm believers don't see any need in their life. They're comfortable. They don't recognize. They're even complacent. This church believed they were rich. They didn't need anything. But the faithful true witness says, you don't know how wretched, miserable, blind, and naked you are. This church apparently had a great deal of money. It was in a wealthy city. And they had a great deal of pride, how they had rebuilt this city after an earthquake without any help from Rome. This prideful, independent attitude of the culture infiltrated the church, which is very common. These people were self-deceived into thinking they can live just like they are. Everything's under control, and they were totally indifferent to God's standards and how complacent they were. But Jesus looks into their hearts and sees them as the poor, miserable, wretched, blind, naked people they were. They were in great danger of thinking they're something when they're nothing. And it's the same battle we all need to deal with. You are nothing. I am nothing. And they didn't recognize their own spiritual poverty. So Jesus advises them that they need gold refined by fire, which suggests persecution to prove if their faith was real. And they need white garments so that you can clothe yourselves. They failed to see the condition of being spiritually naked. They needed white garments referring to holiness and having righteous behavior. The standard for their behavior needed to be God's word. They needed to live with zeal and a desire to please their Lord. They also needed ISAV to anoint their eyes to see. This city, as you probably read, was known for uh, its ISAV that it produced. Yet uh, here they were blind to their own spiritual condition. They needed the Lord to operate on their eyes and restore their spiritual vision. Their lukewarmness had clouded their vision. Persecution and difficulties do have a way of snapping a person out of complacency and waking them up because suddenly you realize, I can't do life. I can't do this in my own strength. Just like the eyes have a soul from the city may have stung the eyes, so it may sting to have the Lord put his finger on your spiritual condition or mine. The evidence of Christ's love for his own is that he will discipline his own. He will correct us so that we repent and follow him. Hebrews 12, 5 says the same thing. He would not have said these things if he didn't love them. Again, the call is to repent to these lukewarm believers. Change your mind about the way you live. Agree with God about your sin. Stop being proud and self-sufficient. Instead, at least be hot and zealous in your love and desire to obey him. And verse 20 I'll touch on because it's often used, as you know, evangelistically, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But obviously in the context, this primary Uh, the way to understand it is that Jesus is outside of his own church knocking, will someone let me in? They didn't even realize he was excluded. Appealing to individuals, Jesus says, if you hear him knocking, get up and open the door of your heart and he will come in and dine with you and you with him. This speaks of meaningful, intimate fellowship together. He wants to be central in your life. He doesn't want to be outside the door of your heart knocking, can I come in? Can I be in your day? So I hope you examine your own heart to see if you fit into this category of lukewarm. And if so, that you will repent and surrender your entire life to his control and guidance moment by moment. So Jesus invites his true children to share his throne and rule with him 
And I wonder, if has he gotten at your attention through any of these churches today? If you hear his voice, surrender your heart to him right now. If there's an area of disobedience in your heart, get it right. Walk with him. Don't be nauseating to God. Father, I thank you for your word and how pertinent it is, honestly, to each one of us. Lord, I pray that you would take the sword of your spirit, the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that you will do surgery on our hearts, Lord, that we would recognize our own true spiritual condition and that our hearts would be repentant and that we would follow you. With um, That would be our first ambition, Lord, that we would want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.